0: Coast. Oh, this, this is going to be a, oh, it's going to be an interesting, interesting conversation today. Like, I can't even get it. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm your host, host with an H, Carl Dazir, and I know I always say I'm excited, but this is a this is going to be a special episode because our guest today and I go way back uh, to our, both our days of working in advertising and both have pivoted elsewhere, and we're going to touch on what it's like to. Pivot careers, take chances, have successes. What are the challenges? Um, but actually, you know what? Why am I talking? Can you introduce yourself, please. Special, special guest.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Julie Chu, and yeah, I'm a marketing director at a sustainable seafood company called Australis Aquaculture, and I am also a oyster sommelier and educator.
0: Ooh, so ooh, ooh, so we're. Oyster Sommelier. We're going. We're going to get into that. You're also a, a two-time Maber. What years did you do Mape?
1: Yeah. So I did Mape 2005 and six. So nice. Right. I had to do it
0: twice. Listen. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Um, I. Before we get in, you know, for those new listeners, we got to do the red, yellow, green check-in to see how you, Julie, are coming in today. Now, this check-in is really just a a way for us to understand where you are in this moment. It's not about where you want to be, it's not about where you were yesterday. We're not gonna to try to change where you are. If it does, that's okay, but that's not the point of this. Red is you're coming in hot, but hot by meaning you're here, but you're distracted, right? You got a lot of things going on and you're just, you can't be fully present. Green is you're fully present, 100% here, ready to go. Yellow is somewhere in between you can mix mash add some shapes if you're not a colors person do however you are coming in and remember all ways of coming in are welcome so julie how are you coming in today
1: yeah so i'm so i'm usually not like this but i'm surprisingly coming in around a reddish orange star shape
0: Ooh, <laughs> reddish orange star so i'm i'm picturing like this shooting star coming across with like this flames of red and yellow oh yeah just, okay <laughs> totally All right. on fire a lot of, listen, a lot of things listen I, I do appreciate you taking the time today and you know we will be mindful of how you are coming in so if you need a moment if something get a phone call whatever you just let us know okay sounds good go <laughs> that. um well thank you for sharing that julie and Um, Before we get into the oyster sommelier and the sustainable seafood marketing, I want to start with your two time MAPE experience. Like 2005, 2006, if I remember correctly, was a transition point for MAPE. Tiffany R. Warren had just left or was in the process of leaving. Angela Johnson Meadows was taken over. So, I mean, I'm curious, like, what was, like, how did you even find out about MAPE? What was the application process like? What, What was your experience during the summer?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I went to college at Carnegie Mellon University uh, in the business undergrad program with a track in marketing. Um, Carnegie Mellon is really not known (laughs) for their uh, fluffy marketing (laughs) side, if you will, soft marketing skills. It was very quantitative, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm a very creative person. I also did a minor in communication design. So I wanted to merge the two. And I think I started exploring advertising, maybe at the suggestion of a friend or a a family friend. I honestly don't know how I even discovered MAPE. But when I did, it seemed like such a light bulb moment. I, I was really surprised that something like that existed. So I just gave it a shot, I applied and I got interviewed and I I got in and that was actually, I think I was the first MAPER from Carnegie Mellon and it opened the door to getting more people from my school into the program.
0: Breaking down barriers. Love it.
1: Yeah, that was cool. I was, you know, once we graduated, I think I was one of the very few to go into advertising, if not the only one. And everybody else went down to Wall Street.
0: (laughs) Oh, I know the feeling. I know. I know that.
1: But it was great, and and uh, the first year it was Tiffany who's you know leading us, and that was an amazing experience having to live in the international house
0: Probably with I all have. of my fellow okay. neighbors.
1: So great, made some really really good friendships there. And in fact, I I, I um, got introduced to this podcast because my friend Nikki Knoll, who did another. Oh episode and yeah. I loved her episode and I felt inspired yeah so Nikki was one of you know our gang that we would work hard play hard during the week go out at all hours in the night uh but still made it to work <laughs> at a respectable oh, hour okay. it was fun and then the second year uh I did MAPE again after graduating college I thought you know I didn't have a job offer at the at, like in May, because advertising doesn't really do that, you know, hire months uh, months in advance. And so I did MAPE again, and it was led by Angela Meadows. And that was a totally different vibe, but still really cool and also made a lot of great friends. And that internship, you know, MAPE taught me how to make every day feel like an interview, and you had to put on your best foot forward every single day. And even before the internship ended, they hired me as a full-time uh,
0: account exec. Nice. Nice. Yeah, shout out to all the connections you make. That that was a really good good episode with Nikki. Um, so, so, you you got hired as an account exec. Is that what you did your um, your internships in, on both years?
1: Um, the first year, I was actually in the new business department. Okay. So, the go-getter, gopher, hustler, I guess, if you will, just tracking yeah. down all sorts of things. <laughs>
0: The, the way you said that, I, I don't know that it was something you enjoyed. You were...
1: I it was it was it was interesting to learn about all the different types of businesses. So that mm-hmm. was unique to my experience, where other people were on one account and got to go really deep into one account. Yeah. I was learning about automotive, toothpaste, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, like dental care, uh, alcohol. Even though I couldn't. Could I? No, I did. Hang on, no, we're not gonna no. talk about that. But yeah, oh, so wait, a lot of different. But you did.
0: No, no, we're not gonna go there.
1: Right. I guess I was 21 at the time. Oh I yeah, 100.
0: percent You were 100 right? 21. I was yep. 100 no, 21. you were 100 21. <laughs> 21. The entire Mape summer. Both yes. Of them. Okay. So
1: it, it was it was a really cool experience. I was at Lowe, New York, the which, first year. The first year, um, and I was the only Maper with another group of interns that was in the same agency so that was also a little bit different but the team was great and got to got to actually have some uh face time with some really senior executives because of the new business aspect of it too it's
0: really cool yeah one of the things i love about mape is like if you do it twice or even if you just do it once you get to explore a career path that you know it's like a trial right it's like a, a try before you buy and if you don't like that then it's like that's not for you then it's like oh I can try something else hopefully the next time I do maybe or I can learn about all these other disciplines so that I could go and you know find the one that actually is for me so it's really it's really cool that you got to like do it twice and kind of get different sides and now I got to ask because you did new business you did account but when we met you were a strategist so how did you get from getting hired as an account person to getting into strategy
1: well, um, maybe a few years into account management, I... So wait, who became... sorry,
0: your second, your second internship was where?
1: Oh, sorry, at EuroRCG. Okay, okay. And that's when you New got
0: York. hired as an account person.
1: Yes, as okay. initially as an assistant account executive and on Jaguar cars, which mm. was a lot of fun. I'm sure. Um, and then got promoted to account exec. And right around, you know, after two or three years... I started becoming more interested in account planning. Um,
0: also, now known as strategy.
1: As strategy, exactly. Us,
0: us old timers know it as account planning.
1: You don't, they don't say account planning anymore. They don't, they don't say oh, account wow. planning anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so, I feel really old now. <laughs> so, okay, so
0: wait, so have, what, what, how did you even, like, so I know you're working at account, what actually like What experience did you have with um, account planning, now known as strategy, <laughs> a strategy. Uh, that really kind of tipped you like, oh, this actually is something I'm more interested in?
1: Yeah, I think it was actually um, being involved in new business pitches because the strategy really was up front and center in those pitches. You had to pitch a vision. You had to pitch, you know, what is the challenge that you're you're trying to address, uh, the mindset that you're trying to change. And I found that incredibly intellectually stimulating. And I thought this, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to spend my energy on. Um, and account management, you could do a little bit of it, but at a, a more junior level, there's not, there's more doing versus thinking, you know what I mean? So I wanted to get myself into that planning strategy, uh, position. And I remember going to the head of planning. Oh, God he he's great but he was kind of intimidating um at Euro, Euro? and I was asked it? him
0: back then who
1: was name? Michael Fanuel
0: Yes he came, <laughs> down, he came he came down to no when I was at Miami ad school we came up and visited and we met him Yeah and it was a, it was like a couple years after like oh seven Okay
1: Okay Yep yeah. That was about you know when I was like oh so I kind of wanted to and of course he was like why and i had to explain myself um and i think there was no immediate opportunity at euro but they did find a position on the Exxon Mobil team for me which was sort of half account and then half strategy i'm putting i'm i'm using air quotes right now because that strategy is a fairly loose form of strategy um it was more like communication science data science i don't even i'm not even sure how to describe it but what we were doing for that client was doing their corporate communications it was not creative it was very strategic but at the same time it had it allowed me to go into market research in a really deep way so for for that client i got to do a lot of qualitative uh, stakeholder interviews around the world, 18 countries, um, five continents in the span of six weeks. And at like 24 and 26, that was what I was doing. Um, and and kind of understanding uh, how to manage market research, how to get you know, kind of the the insights, but then also the summary of findings from different types of people in different languages, having to do simultaneous translations and understanding. Putting all that together was really a great experience. Um, but I would say that was, that's also a weird side of strategy. That's one component of, you know, doing your, your marketing planning. <laughs> and and uh, And I think I was able to, Combine that with my um, emerging oyster blog to convince uh, translation to hire me as a brand strategist. Okay.
0: Okay. I mean, I love. I love. It's like it wasn't exactly what you wanted, but it was. It gave you kind of a, a, a foot in and some some insight and some access to kind of a different side or one component of it that again allowed you to take it and have a agency like translation kind of go and be like yeah you're interesting sure. we'll hire you right 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 um, talk a little bit about that that transition from euro the Exxon account to a very different company uh, mm-hmm. translation because uh, what you started there when well,
1: I think it was a 2011 yeah because
0: that I mean there were still like what 50 people. yeah 60 people right totally different right totally different than they are now um it was like a family i remember
1: it was like joining a new family or joining a new like clubhouse (laughs) 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 so that was that was a really great opportunity i actually got the interview thanks to another fellow maper and longtime friend sue Min. shout out to her she was working
0: there at the time yeah, all these make connections that are coming through, you know oh getting yeah, in the podcast, getting jobs.
1: Okay. <laughs> exactly, left and right. It's always been a like a good thing. Uh, so what was, it? I guess yeah, after a few years on at Euro, I, I just felt like you know, I was sort of reaching everything that I wanted to do there. And that's when I started looking around. Um, and Sue said, hey, we're we're hiring brand strategists. And at the time, I had been already blogging about oysters for a couple of years. And Mm -hmm. the In a Half Shell came about just as a creative outlet, a a hobby, um, when I was still at Euro. And in fact, one of my, uh, my art director actually suggested the name. In a half shell, because I I, pitched, I was like, maybe I should. I'm thinking about blogging about oysters. Is that weird? And they're like, Yeah, it's really weird, but it's cool. <laughs>
0: but <laughs> and it this is a cool it wasn't name. Wasn't your form. love for Ninja Turtles? Come no, in, no. No.
1: I think he just no. He just uh, just threw it out there, and I googled it, and I thought it was a cute name because I like in a, in a nutshell, but in a half yeah. shell. And so I googled the name. It wasn't taken, and I was hmm. like, This is crazy. So I'm gonna take it. And that was the start of that uh, as, I, I guess, as a parallel life for me doing getting deep into oyster culture on social media, on a blog, getting involved with that community of growers, chefs, distributors, other oyster lovers, and then at the same time doing my day job in advertising. And um, I think, you know, back to what I was just saying, I was able to leverage that weird thing that I was doing to pitch myself into getting this job that I ultimately wanted to be as a brand strategist.
0: Yeah. And that's I mean I've always loved how like when you hire folks especially like strategists like you you want them to bring their you know what they consider eccentric their eccentric <laughs> unique Hobbies, talents, life experiences, life experiences to it, <laughs> yeah. because you never know when that's going to come in handy. And that also shows how they think and this and they're doing. Um, And I mean, I remember, you know, I remember trying oysters for the first time and actually liking them. This was oh, like good. back in like, I don't know, 2015. So not even Wow, you must ago. have had a
1: good oyster.
0: Yeah, I was in New Orleans. They were like, literally like fresh out the, o- or the ocean. Yeah. Um, but so before we get to that, I want to just quickly touch on like just your experience as a brand strategist at a big company versus a small agency, right? And there's like what are the, you know, what, what big differences did you notice and that I think that you think really helped you kind of move your career, even in the oyster world forward? Mm,
1: that's a great question. And, you know, the Euro st- strategy market analyst position was a little bit different than uh, the traditional brand strategies but I think what what uh, the difference in experience was definitely the company culture first and foremost I didn't I didn't really see it as a difference in um, uh, I guess responsibility even though they they were also different it it was hard to make that comparison Um, but company culture really put a lot of at a big agency, really put a lot of emphasis on this is the big idea from the top and then it has to be figured out all the way down to the bottom. Whereas at a smaller agency, everybody's opinions, ideas, were kind of on equal footing, which is really refreshing because you can throw out, you know, as whatever you wanted and it wasn't going to get just smashed down immediately. Um, Because it's a small team, everybody had to pull their own weight Too. So you had to keep offering new things, fresh things, whereas at a bigger agency that wasn't necessarily, um, people didn't see that necessarily as adding value. It -hmm. seemed like an inefficiency versus something that was worth pursuing.
0: Uh, I, I love it. And that resonates so much with me because I came from the agency formerly known as JWT, which at the time was like 850 people. The planning department was 60 people. The planning department was bigger than all of translation when I got there. I guess oh we got the translation around the same time because I got there in 20 early 2011. Yeah. And I remember going in and being like, you know, getting that hierarchy at a larger agency to going in translation three weeks in and being like, oh, you're going to present to the CMO of one of our clients. And I'm like, right. uh, I just got here <laughs> And I love that, you're right, because I remember, like, it, because it's such a small team, like, the, the account people, the strategists, the creatives were all sitting down working on creative ideas, right? And I remember being in a meeting, and, you know, it's a, it was like a State Farm ad, and they were trying to think of, like, what the parents could turn their kids' bedroom into when they went away to college. And I was like, you know, I did martial arts, so I was like, oh, definitely, like, you know, a martial arts studio. <laughs> and I just threw it out there, and I didn't think of anything. A couple months later, I see the TV ad... And that's, and that's what got in there. <laughs> Amazing. And to your point, you're right. It's like, you know, it's like every, it's like one of those things where like every idea is welcome here, but it's like everyone has to contribute because there's, at the time, like only 50, 60 people right. in the whole company. There so was nobody else. There's nobody you else. You had to. Do to. It. Yes. And I think for me, it, was, it went from like this, you are in a cog in the machine and you're learning your part it's very traditional i learned a lot at jwt about the different types of planning quantitative qualitative focus groups just looking at spreadsheets and was able to use all that at a small smaller company where it was just like all hands on deck let's go everyone jump in and while i didn't have as many like opportunities at a larger company to like present in front of cmos because you know we had you know, me at the bottom, then we had, like, another planner, <laughs> and then we had a planning, you know, associate planning director, and a planning director, and a senior planning director, and right. then off the chain. While at translation, it was like, oh, no, it's you and the headman, like, the, the chief right. strategy officer. You did everything. <laughs> you got, you all did everything. For totally, that
1: which is, I think I, I prefer smaller companies mm-hmm. because of that. You get to do a lot yeah. more.
0: Yeah, as I say that, as I'm, I'm not a big company, but yes, I no. think in, in that respect, <laughs> it's... I do like that kind of experience where like they just they throw you in, you know, people are there to help, but you're just learning so much because right. everybody has to do everything. It's there's so much about all different things. So I, I actually I, think,
1: like, I mean, one one thing I wanted to bring up though is like if you are thrown into that small situation without any experience, I think true. that would be extremely challenging. That's true because you don't have any guidance. You don't have any. Uh, you know guardrails, and you yeah. don't exactly know what the process is, and you you can flail or maybe just not do the the things that you should be doing. But yeah. I think from both of our experiences, having the structure first 100%. and then going into a small place was 100%. really helpful.
0: That's actually you know what you, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually I actually that was very intentional on my part to try to go to a big agency, learn about kind of and get that structure and learn about planning now strategy and (laughs) to take it somewhere else where I could use that and actually get like more experience in a different way but I think you're right if I had just jumped into like a translation or a smaller agency um, I don't know that would have have, uh, had as good a time as I had because I wouldn't have had that structure yeah so go okay now what we've all been waiting for (laughs) you already touched on it a little bit so you had the blog you, were, you had the interest. You had the passion for oysters. When did you try your first oyster?
1: Oh, um, my first raw oyster, from what I can remember, was as a teenager. Okay. I was 15. Uh, I By the way, I grew up in Indiana, where, uh, you know, all the fresh seafood is. Like, such yeah, bounties uh, of fresh seafood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. My, um, my family is from Shanghai, and Shanghainese cuisine is really focused around very simple clean flavors a lot of use of seafood so as a small child i would be eating clams uh, shrimps what have you a lot of different types of fish in in shanghai oh probably like yeah so I, i immigrated with my parents when i was five Um, But Indiana, I think they still managed to find like a couple frozen fillets of orange roughy. (laughs) And God, (laughs) it is is a sad state of affairs, (laughs) let me tell you. (laughs) But my uncle, my very cool uncle, lives in San Diego. Mm, So one Christmas we went to visit him. And he took us out to an old school seafood restaurant down on this really long pier. There was, you know, a very classic. There was like a fisherman statue and the front where you can pose with What is the with. name of this
0: magical place? I don't know. I tried oh, no. to find
1: it and I don't I I don't think I can find it anymore. Maybe maybe I can and I'll I'll let you know. But I don't yes. think it exists anymore oh, and God. and they had this, you know, one of those big seafood menus that had basically everything you can think of. Everything oh. that is coming in either locally or or imported. And I saw that the oyster menu was at the top, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it is like the raw bar and I wanted being the fanciest fifteen-year-old of all time, I wanted to order two dozen for the wow. table. Um, I mean, I wasn't paying for it, so i <laughs> was just like, "Let's do this. The Let's give it a 15
0: shot." 15 on somebody else's dime, I love
1: <laughs> exactly. That. And I and my parents are like, "Are you? Do you know what you're doing?" I'm like, "It'll be fine. I really want to try this." And and when they came, I was mesmerized by how beautiful and different shaped they were. I remember them smelling super fresh like the ocean mm-hmm. i think there was like a little bit of seaweed on top of ice and then i tried them and i tried different varieties and specifically remember loving some and really being feeling disgusted about others and yeah. i think the the ones that i didn't like were a, just a bit fishy like mm. a little they shouldn't have been there but that was my first experience um i didn't know at the time that i would turn that into you know a key cornerstone of my life but that was that was when i i knew that there was something interesting about them but it wasn't until a decade later when i got to new york I got a little bit more <clears throat> discretionary income for myself, so I can partake in oyster happy hours <laughs> once in a yeah. while. Yeah.
0: Oh, not, not even just oysters <laughs> at dinner, but had to be happy. So the discretionary income necessarily wasn't that much, but it was enough for oyster happy hours. Exactly, <laughs> which, is, which, is, yeah. which is totally fine. Love love a good dollar oyster happy hour.
1: <laughs> it was it was the only it was the best way to yeah. get exposure of, to with a, a lot, lot of oysters, yeah. right? Um, you know when. Yeah three dollars a piece man i just don't i just don't even know how people do it but in any case so yeah so that was uh that was back then and then coming into new york like i said i started in a half shell and it was initially to track just some of my own adventures i there were so many on the menu, and. Like wine, I think people can get a little intimidated by how many varieties there are, including myself. Fortunately, i stumbled upon this great book called The Geography of Oysters by Rowan Jacobson. and he was he, he approached oysters like wine and that you can learn different appellations of oysters. He kind of explained it in this amazing tone of voice that he has throughout his all his books, like how what the oyster is, why it's so amazing, why does it taste like the way it does. And that was just entirely um, mesmerizing to me. So I decided to, you know, clutch that book and go out and taste oysters from different oyster bars and then track down notes. And of course, being the Carnegie Mellon nerd that I am, I would put it into a spreadsheet and I would quantify the data.
0: (laughs) So so you have the, the strategist, like research, ethnography, like I'm getting into the whole culture And you're putting it all in a spreadsheet. So do you still have this spreadsheet? I do. You do? I do. Do you keep adding to it or are you moving (laughs) on to something else?
1: No, I've uh, I've moved on to, uh, I now actually track uh, notes a little bit more um, organically in my tasting journal, which I produced. Mm. It's called the 33 Oyster Tasting Journal. It has a flavor wheel. It has other attributes that I used to never capture, but always wanted to.
0: Did you say you, Produced it as in, like, you can go buy it?
1: Yes, yes. So Uh I uh, approached a small publisher of – it's called 33 Books. And he started out wanting to do tasting books for beer and wine, cheese, et cetera. And I pitched him a – you should do an oyster tasting notebook because this is exactly what I want for myself. And I think there's other people who want it. And he – he got into it, and so we co-authored this book
0: yeah. several years I just, ago. I just looked it up online. It's only $5, so if anyone's out there <laughs> wants to get into oysters, go check it out. Maybe we'll put the link in the show notes to uh, so that you can go get it. Yeah, Sweet. That's really yeah. cool. And I think, I know, so I, it was funny, when you mentioned that book, I think I actually have that book, The, um, the Geography, A Geography of, of oysters. oysters. Yeah, ah. Geography of Oysters. I was looking in front of my bookshelf. I know it's somewhere, because I remember when I first got into Oysters, I was like... "Oh, sorry, I'm sure I can't hear When I first got into Oysters, I wanted to learn more and dive in and got the book. I don't think I ever made it through. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'll just get the cliff notes from you. Right. Okay. Um, right, so this, it's, it's it's fascinating, because, like, Oysters is such a acquired taste. And I love how you were, like, at 15, you were like, I like these, I don't like these, but I'm gonna mm-hmm. going to keep going into this. Um, so I, I, I want to get, like, a little... I guess tactical, right? So you have this blog. It's you have this passion. It's going really well. You're creating books. You're reading. You're learning more. When was the time when you were like, this could be a full time thing, or this could turn into a career?
1: This could be something that pays.
0: Yes. Right. When um, when, when when did that kind of <laughs> light bulb go off?
1: Yeah, it was. I know exactly when it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at work at translation, <laughs> and I got this we, email.
0: We spent thirteen hours a day there, so right. Yeah, I get it. Right. Where else would you be?
1: I got this email from a gentleman from Ireland, and he said, "And this this literally read like a Nigerian prince email, you know, asking for money." That's how I felt getting yeah. it. And he was like, hi, I I came across your blog and I love it. I would love to bring you over to Ireland to speak to our oyster farmers here about oyster appreciation, oyster marketing, consumers. How do you get like go to market in Asia? All the things where I'm like, okay, I kind of know some of this. Um, I don't know others and I think he found the post that I did when, when I was doing all that market research travel
0: mm-hmm. yeah. remember for Exxon uh...
1: <laughs> I decided when I wasn't working I would just go oh, out sorry, and find as many oysters as I could
0: I, lo- so I love like had... like your, your <laughs> 9 to 5 where you're traveling doing this but also being like yeah. you know I'm going to slide in some some exactly Passions in here
1: Exactly I mean what, what Why else what, No it's what, what, it's what I do, do
0: with breweries I'm like oh yeah. I'm here I haven't been here To this city before Let me find the best brewery Or find a brewery And just go And enjoy Totally
1: Totally So that's what I did And that's uh, the content That he found And I was able to Work out A A, a media trip I guess that's what You would call it okay. Slash A speaking Fee Um mm-hmm. And he, and, then, and then we got to visit some oyster farms in Ireland, which was my first oyster farm trip outside of the US and was completely paid for. And I was like, huh, I, I wanna do more <laughs> of this. I wanna do more travel, um, telling stories, and also using my experience in communications and interest in brand strategy to help this industry. And so I think that in that moment, that's when I felt like this could potentially be a thing down the road. I need to acquire, uh, you know, some more contacts, definitely build up some more content. Um, and that was, yeah, I think that was at the start of it. And I think that was like 2012, 2013, oh, wow.
0: Okay, so it's been almost, about 10, almost 10 years. Yes. Of you making money off of your passion. So... let's talk about that like okay so you knew you you knew you could make money when when did you know and like what what was happening to you when you were like i'm going to leave my full-time job and go pursue you know in in strategy and go pursue uh this like anyway it's just i mean and how did then that become like sustainable um right seafood marketing
1: well um i mean translation kind of ended a fairly abruptly. Uh, they had to change some of their organization structure. And it was done at the time when I literally had a thought in my mind of I'm ready for something else. And so that came out a really interesting Time. And I, I still have this quote, you know, when one door closes and oyster opens.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was just very, you know, and very relevant. Is
0: that pearl and it's like <laughs> amazing and magical. Yes.
1: Yep, yes. totally. Um and, and I wanted to spend some time building up the brand that I started, which is in a half shell. I wanted it to be less about me and more about helping others in my position up their half-shell game, if you will. So whether that was just through learning a bit more about oysters uh, on my blog, finding out different places to go, and then ultimately hearing about the stories um, and the farmers who are producing these amazing, you know, food items um, and the sustainability and the health benefits that go after it. It was just kept going on and on and on. And at the same time, the industry was blossoming around the country, in, especially in the U.S., there was a lot more oysters on the market, a lot more producers with different backgrounds, and they wanted to brand themselves and tell their own stories as well. So I was in... I, I, I had the right idea at the right time,
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: right category. Um, and, and with
0: the right experience. All your experience beforehand kind of helped lead to kind of like, how can I do this on my own and for yes. other folks in this cat. I mean, I love that it's like the it's yeah it's emerging yes it's
1: emerging like it really felt like this is what i should be doing at this time um and when i threw out into the universe like hey i'm going off on my own i want to do my own consulting i had a couple friends who would give me some freelance gigs on the side to pay my rent and then i would pursue my own projects like doing a full rebrand for fisher's island oyster farm a company that I have just a lot of heart for, a great family. They're in New York. They, they're they one of the first boutique oysters that came mm. into the New York market, like beyond the Blue Point and the Wellfleet, like the big names. Fisher's Island really came in and just charmed a lot of high-end chefs with their petite uh, Fisher's Island oysters that just like tasted just like the um, Island and Block Island sound. Mm. So after a couple years of that, Doing you know my own thing, doing consulting, doing the blog. I got invited uh, to speak at a sustainable seafood blog conference. If you know, <laughs> it was very niche.
0: Uh, I, ha- I mean, <laughs> it's <was> very niche, <laughs> right? No but idea. it was like,
1: oh, this is interesting, and I was invited to speak about how I pivoted um, from my past career into into you know doing my own. Own thing, and oh, so ap- you
0: have had this conversation before. I have, so this is yes. Like, this is like a pre-recorded <laughs> conversation. You're just like <laughs> spitting off the talking points again. Okay,
1: it keeps evolving, though, right? It's um, but it's the I love I love using I guess sharing with people how you can turn your passion into a profession. I firmly believe that you, ha- I'm a person that has to love what they do,
0: yeah,
1: or else I can't I can't do it.
0: So. so- is that one so? Like, if you had, if you had to give some tips, some advice, like top five things, top three things, whatever, for folks who are in that place you were years ago, where it's like I have this thing, it's super, I'm super passionate about it, I think I can make money. Mm-hmm. How do I turn that passion into a money making venture, a practitioner, my job, my career? Right.
1: Well, I think the one of the biggest light bulbs for me is how how are you adding value it's it's less about how do you give value how do you get yourself money for doing this but how are you helping somebody else and are they willing to pay for it i love that because that's that is really what's going to keep you going at the end of the day and doing something that you love and also being you know paid what you deserve for it is understanding how you can contribute to somebody else and and or some other entity, and uh, and adding value that way. I would say one of the one of the hiccups in trying to do my own consulting work, um, and also doing providing marketing services to oyster farms at the time when I tried was that small farms didn't have a marketing budget, so it was actually very hard to find. Uh, companies that would say like oh we would love your help you know building a brand building a website building social media presence but here's
0: five dollars
1: right here's five dollars <laughs> or here's like can we trade oysters and like as much as there's, i would love to do that 18, like
0: thousand pounds of oysters <laughs> right i
1: can't i can't like pay yeah you can't pay your rent exactly Oyster shells that's exactly.
0: not a, a currency accepted in no
1: unfortunately no. not back in the day it used to be but yeah. <laughs> not anymore so that was one thing and i think you know understanding that there's more than one way to generate revenue your side hustle money for yourself mm-hmm. like i could have gone down the route of let's pump up all the traffic to the blog and do advertising on yep. the blog i hated that idea i never wanted to do banner ads on my blog that most go. bloggers do which is totally fine for them you know they're, they're not. It's, it's a totally fine way of generating revenue from a passion project. Yep. Um, today, it's like getting sponsorships as influencers, which yeah. I also have dabbled in so a little bit.
0: Have, have all these oyster farms given you sponsorship money to talk about them on this podcast? Is, <laughs> no. that, is that what's going on here?
1: <laughs> no, un, unpaid. Unpaid, all right, all right. Unpaid drop mentions here. Sponsored by no,
0: (laughs) (laughs) these unpaid drop mentions are sponsored by yes,
1: (laughs) no, but um, it's it's yeah, it's one of those things where you had to just, I I definitely had to figure out okay, what's going to be you know the best way forward for me and um, you know, keeping the the standard of living that I have grown accustomed to and also really want. Um, and also doing something I love. And that actually led me to taking this full time job with Australis Aquaculture, which is what I do now. I've been in this position for six years and it's turned into something that I've always wanted. Like, I, I do, I'm the marketing director, kind of a one woman show, to be honest, like right now, where I do everything from branding, digital, packaging, all the Marcoms, paid, unpaid, PR, et cetera. So all the things, but then being in seafood also allows a lot of synergies uh, to oysters and vice versa as well. We're kind of talking to the same people, but within different contexts. Like people will see me and approach me.
0: um, That's really awesome. In different ways. That's really awesome. Um, I think that's great advice. The whole adding value, the whole you know finding different ways to make money. You're right because I don't imagine that you know, family-owned oyster farms have seven-figure marketing budgets to, to give around. And so depending on what you need, it's like it's it's finding where you can have value and how you can make sure you can maintain a roof over your head and oysters in your belly. Yep. I, like, I, I, we could probably keep going for hours right now, but I can see, and I see now, how busy you are with all with all that <laughs> you do. So I want to, You know, make sure we can get you back to your regularly scheduled uh, program. Before that, though, you've already given such great advice, and we always give our guests an opportunity, you know, about 60 seconds to leave everything out on the table and make sure nothing gets left unsaid. Mm -hmm. So you got 60 seconds. What do you want to leave the listeners with?
1: Yeah, well, I think the one thing that we didn't get a chance to touch on, but I think is important, is to say that when i entered seafood this industry it is at least from the the western management leadership context it's not diverse at all not diverse entirely it there was a, a one of the trade publications came out with a list of the top mo- like top 100 most influential people in seafood Um, there were more people named Felix on that list than there were uh, (laughs) African-Americans. And I was like, I don't... It just makes me feel really uncomfortable, you know? Like, I really... And also as an Asian woman going into the Boston Seafood Show, which is the North America's largest seafood show, I was just surrounded by people who did not look like me um, didn't didn't really share my same values. So all that to say is that like, you know, being the first MAPER going into, uh, from Carnegie Mellon, you know, going into MAPE, I really want to help others who are interested in seafood, interested in aquaculture, get into this industry. So if there is anybody who is listening, who would – be open to or curious about it, I'm happy to have that conversation. I don't know if that is like the insightful thing that you're looking for, but it's an invitation to learn more about the world of sustainable seafood, aquaculture. Um, There's actually a new nonprofit called Minorities in Aquaculture uh, founded by Imani Black, and she's awesome. She's really focused on getting people into the cultivation of seafood, Whereas I think I have a better in about getting into businesses that market and distribute.
0: Um, Yeah, Yeah, both sides of it. I love it. Um, It's funny. It actually reminds me of the craft beer culture right now, where there's a big push to get more brewers of color out there. There's actually a, um, in Connecticut, there's a, a scholarship for one of the colleges there, for a master brewers thing done um, by one of the local breweries, for uh, to get more uh, Black African American folks into brewing. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of analogous um, situations going on in both. So i have just res- its just resonating with me a lot. And that's—that is. I'm not looking for anything. I want. It's about what you want to be. So if you're offering your help to folks to get involved in the seafood industry, where can they find you? What's the best place to reach you?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So. Uh-huh. Well, that's like actually a good question. So I guess, I guess
0: probably. I say the the tough ones for the end.
1: (laughs) I'm like, I I think the best way probably is through my oyster blog. So you can find me at inahalfshell.com. Contact information should be on there. Or you know what? If you're on Instagram, easiest way is to slide in my DMs on inahalfshell blog. That's the handle, and I check that you know pretty often. Sometimes, you know, like the, the messages that they, no, yeah. I'll, I'll find it. Yeah,
0: you're, you're fine. <laughs> so you can either go to the blog, the In a Half Shell blog, or to the Instagram, which is In a Half Shell blog, and we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Without... Julie, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I wish we had like five hours more to really dive deep, compare the brewing. Pun intended, right? Licit...
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay I mean and we can Can't find help. all the, those pearls of wisdom mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, but I thank you for taking the time today uh, to share your story your passion all your insights with with the listeners um, and you know I'm, I'm hoping we can have another conversation um, and before we go I want to thank all the listeners I want to thank the Forest Foundation the, the uh, left unsaid podcast team because you know everything we do do it for you And wouldn't be able to do this without all of you. So thank you, Julie. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. And until next time. Thanks so much.